Good morning. You know, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Steve, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm just glad you can join, join us this morning. It's kind of a special week with our missionaries returning from overseas, and uh, if you don't know, like Mike, Mike said, I think it was Mike that said it, like there's a lot of new faces here. If you don't know the Buellers and the Phillips, uh, you know, I'd encourage you to get to know them um, as much as you can in the time we have, because uh, it's, just, it's just really neat to see God's work in their life. And you, I think we're going to be hearing from the Phillips, is it next week? That we're hearing from you guys? Do you know, Chris? No? I don't know. Maybe. Neither next week or the following week you'll be hearing from the Phillips because they're back for a little bit from Bangladesh and then that they're going to be moving to Arizona. So um, kind of along, I don't want to like, like take the, I, I just spoiler that, but you know. You know, I just, uh, I don't, where is Mike and Melissa? There's Mike. And I don't, yeah, they were probably talking, getting to see people they haven't seen in a long time. But I, you know, I just really appreciated, I just really appreciated Melissa's words about like God sustaining her through the challenges that they were in. It made me think of like in Second Corinthians four, Paul talks about talks says this. He says, "For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and our." and ourselves as bondservants for your sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You know, there's, I just loved what Melissa was sharing, just about, the, and both of you guys, about this, just the centrality of the work of Jesus Christ in, in the people, in the lives that you're reaching out to, and how God is shining his light in the hearts of, like, those women that Melissa's been engaging with, and the students that you guys are working with. And it goes on, talking about what Melissa like, shared this morning, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, and the, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. You know, I just... I just want to just thank Melissa. I'll, I'll let you pass it on to her. That just the beauty of sharing that, like how how in the midst of your guys' sorrow and suffering and struggle, that God's bringing life to those around you. And so I appreciate your faithfulness there in the DR. And um, thanks for sharing that with us. And if you don't know them, get to know them. Um, you know, before Mike's leaving this Friday, though. So get to know Melissa. So she's she's yeah, that's a, she's the better of the two. So. Um, <laughs> He said it first, for those of you that couldn't hear. So, but I would have said it, but at least he saved me from a... You know, one more thing about baptisms. If you're, I would encourage you guys to come to the baptisms uh, today. It's a great time just to see what God's doing in people's lives and to celebrate that together, even though it's just salads. Um, and... Uh, I don't know, but... No, I'd encourage you guys all to come. And uh, Mark just stopped me right before. I think he must be downstairs teaching Sunday school. But as you drop down like towards their house, their driveway is long and their house is kind of set back from the street. Don't park out on the street. Like go down their driveway and there's a way, there's a field back behind their house that we can all park in in the field. So um, don't, don't like jam up the street because there wouldn't be enough parking in there. But there's, I think, plenty of parking down below their house on the field. So turn in their long driveway and just keep going straight. And hopefully it'll be apparent of where to park when you get down there. Um, I don't remember exactly how to get down to the field, but I think it'll be clear. But um, 
And if you forgot to get the address, talk to me after the service and I can get you their address too. So that being said, let's, let's take the rest of our time and just focus on um, John chapter 10 this morning. If you're, part, if you're just joining us, we've been studying through the gospel of John. And we are going to be kind of taking a pause here after this week um, as we wrap up John chapter 10. And, and in John chapter 10, Jake spoke about this last week, that Jesus talked about himself as being the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep and, and how he knows his sheep by name. And we're going to be looking at some of those things even um, later on this morning. And, and, and we're going to be taking a pause and you're going to be hearing from other people in the, in the body teaching while I kind of take some vacation and focus on some other things over the next like seven weeks. But, and we're going to be looking at the, moving from the Good Shepherd passage here into Psalm 23 that we sang about this morning where it talks about the Good Shepherd um, in Psalm 23 and then moving into the Lord's Prayer. The, the, and our summer series is kind of going to be entitled like The Shepherd and His Prayer where Jesus talks about who He is. The scriptures tell us about who Jesus is and then how to pray together as his people. So I'm excited to, to sit under God's, the teaching of God's word. I don't get to do that very often here. I come for the worship. Um, the, uh, <laughs> just to sit under the teaching of God's word and, and like just really spend some really in-depth time looking at two passages, the Lord's Prayer and Psalm 23, that are just really part of the fabric of the church. And if, if you don't have those passages memorized, um, I would encourage you to memorize both of those things uh, over the course of the summer. Start, start with Psalm 23 because it's, that's, I know the reference to that one, the, the, the Lord's Prayer, we're pulling it out of like Matthew 6, something, something, something. Um, so, uh, I'd, but, but I'd encourage you to memorize those things so that you can be meditating on them as we're teaching that. But um, I know this morning, as in the time that we have left, I, you know, Jesus continues to talk about himself as a shepherd, and, and you know, and, and as we get into the text, you'll see that there's all this hope and anticipation around who Jesus is. Things have been building up, and in fact, even though we're only in chapter 10, we're just a few months away. In fact, uh, we're just two chapters away from where Jesus begins to, like, that, that final week of his life before he goes to the cross, and, and like, kind of historic timeline. We're just a, we're just a few months away from that moment. And so all of Jesus' life and ministry have building up to this question and people have been looking to this, this person, Jesus, and wondering, based on everything that he said and everything that he's done, is he the guy that's going to fulfill all of our hopes and all of our dreams? And what we're going to see is they're going to kind of pin Jesus down and try to get an answer to that idea. And, and I think Jesus' response might surprise some of us. And what, one of the things we need to learn is that sometimes... When we look to Christ and we look to, the, and we look to what we expect, what our expectations are from him, sometimes I think our expectations aren't all that accurate. Like we have all these hopes and dreams and we just hope that Jesus gets on board with us, right? And I'll, I'll pursue my hopes and dreams and go to church so that I can score points with the big guy upstairs so that he will help me along my way. I think it's kind of the nation of Israel was operating that way instead of realizing that Oh, everything that Jesus did and said and shows us shows that he is above all and deserves all of our allegiance and all of our loyalty and all of our devotion. And our life needs to come under him, not trying to get him to follow along with us. And Jesus is going to kind of speak to that like directly this morning. You know, if you're, I don't know if we're going to get through the whole passage this morning, but if we do, it breaks out into these two sections that there's this question that kind of drives this text of whether or not he's the Christ. And, and what we're going to see is that both father and son are the ones that save and secure as Jesus responds to their question. And then 
He's going to talk about how both the, the, his works and the words of others invite people to believe in him. So um, please stand with me. I'll go ahead and just read verses 22 through 30, which is our first section this morning. I need to turn there first. I was in 2 Corinthians. Hold on. And then I will pray and we'll get into the text. John chapter 10, starting at verse 22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews therefore gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews, therefore, took up stones again to stone him. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for um, your word. I thank you for the work of Jesus Christ. I thank you for the encouragement and, and that we receive from your people, as Melissa testified. And Father, I just ask that you would minister to each of us here this morning through your word, through our interactions with each other, and that your spirit would speak to where we need to be spoken to, and that we would leave here as changed people this morning. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we get into verse 22, um, it, it's, it sets up the context here for us. Is that There was another feast in Jerusalem, and it was called the Feast of Dedication, and we're told that it was winter. You know, and, and the Feast of Dedication isn't, isn't one of the biblical feasts that was prescribed in the Old Testament to be done, but it was a feast that the Jews had established about 100 years before, after um, Antiochus Epiphanes, who was this Greek guy who, like, took over Israel, and he, he, he blended pagan worship with Jewish worship in the temple. So it was this mixture of pagan and Jewish worship kind of cooked up together. And then there was a guy by the name of Judas Maccabeus who led this revolt against the Greeks, drove like Antiochus Epiphanes guys out of the temple, purified the temple. And so this was a celebration. This was a celebration of the return to pure worship. And it was in the middle of that celebration where Jesus is walking through this big giant courtyard area. And at the end, a portico is, is like a fancy word for a covered porch. But it's like, you know, they have the big columns and the and the stone, like Jesus is walking through this covered porch area, which is where people would often gather to hear teaching. And it says that the Jews, verse 2, uh, verse 23, I mean, it says, no, verse 24, that the Jews gathered around him. That, it doesn't just mean like they all kind of sat down on their carpet squares for story time. What he's talking about there when they gathered around them, him is, is the language kind of has a sense of hostility to it, as if like they surrounded him or they hemmed him in. So Jesus is walking in this covered like area and then a bunch of Jewish people and like John typically uses that term Jews to speak about like the, the ruling elite of Israel. They all surrounded Jesus and cornered him in, backed him into a corner because they had a question for him and they weren't going to leave until they got an answer to that question. And here it is, verse 24. The Jews therefore gathered around him and were saying to him, it's kind of ongoing thing, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. You know, there's that phrase, how long do you keep us in suspense? It's actually an idiom that talks about taking away someone's life. So it has this intensity to it, like, we're dying to know. Or like, the, the anticipation is killing us. 
if you are the Christ, then just tell us plainly, yes or no, right? Like, why haven't you told us whether you're him or not? Now, if you're new to the Bible, you might not know this, like Jesus Christ, Christ is not his middle name. <laughs> I mean, it took me a long time to figure that out. Like, like I, it's, it's a kind of a funny statement, but at the same time, like, I never knew that until I was like, oh, it's actually a title. Jesus, the Messiah, is what that means. He's the, his title as the Messiah, when you refer to him as Christ, he's the, he's the hoped one. He's the one that all the promises of God find their, like, presence in. He's the one that's going to restore everything that we, like, truly need and desire in this world. And they came to him and they said, hey, are you that guy? Are you the Christ? We just need a simple yes, no answer from you. And they've got him cornered in the portico waiting to get that answer. And it's interesting what Jesus does is that Jesus doesn't directly answer their question. Look what he says instead. Verse 25, I told you and you do not believe. Then he says, the works that I do in my Father's name, these bear witness of me. He's like, I've already answered this question time and time and time again. He's like, the things that I've told you pointed to who I am. The things that I've done points to who I am, and you just simply don't believe. And like, you know, if you if you think about that, Jesus, like, Jesus didn't answer like the simple yes-no question, but all through his the totality of his life and his ministry up to this point have been pointing to who he is. Like John chapter 3. He says he is the savior of the world. And anybody that follows him, his deeds will be wrought in God. Like he will experience this transformation and become part of like God's plan for the ages. John chapter 5, I think in John chapter 5, he says, You guys remember from my sermon in John 5? I've got it written down here because I don't either right now. Oh, yeah, John chapter 5. I remember that was a great sermon. Um, Jesus says like, that, he has the, that he's going to come and he's going to raise the dead. He's going to speak, and at his words, the dead will come forth, and he will preside over the living and the dead as judge. John chapter 6, he says that he is the bread of life that nourishes and sustains his God's people as they wander in this like, wilderness. And he's the one that can satisfy their deepest hunger. John chapter 7, he told them that he was the one that could quench their deepest thirst, that he was the water of life, and that, and that if you believed in him, you would receive the Spirit of God that would give you this ever-replenishing stream of like, satisfaction and the ability to like, impact other people. John chapter 8, he was the light of the world. He's the one that enlightens and explains God to us and exposes who we are so that we can see our need for him as Savior. And then John chapter 9, he told them that he was God himself, that he was the great I am. Like what Jesus has been saying is like, if you're, if you're looking for the Messiah... And by that, you mean something that's going to save the entire world, that's going to remove the curse of death from, from things forever, that's going to like, explain to you who God is and reveal like, what he desires of us, that, that's going to promise transformation and satisfaction and life to you. I've been, I've been telling you that I'm that guy all along. But you don't believe. The reason why he doesn't answer them is because they had all of this baggage tacked on to this, this idea of Messiah. 
For them, the Messiah was a guy that was going to come and free, like reestablish their national identity and free them from like the Roman oppression. He was somebody that was going to like establish prosperity over the land so they could all like experience like the blessing of Solomon's reign. He was the one that was going to like free them from like tyranny and like political tyranny and oppression and they had their sights set way too low. Cuz Jesus is like wants to overcome our greatest enemies. He's come to like deliver us from like the tyranny of death. He's come to set us free and give us life and forgiveness and peace and satisfaction and hope. And so by, if Jesus were to answer their question like, yes, I'm the Messiah, what would have happened there is he would have just reinforced like all of their like, like wrong-headed, like low-level thinking. And he would have, and, and he would have inevitably miscommunicated who he was. And st instead what he does is he points them back to like everything that he's been saying and doing that, that proves like, yes, he is the promised Messiah of the world. Now let me just pause there for a second because I think there's some wisdom here. I don't know if, if, if you know, it seems like in our culture there's ever increasing mistrust and misunderstanding and disdain for the things of Christ and the, and the truth of the gospel. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I, I actually have one, like, you know, knowing that, knowing that our, like, there's the algorithms that curate stories for you. I have, like, one algorithm that I always, like, click, like, I click the stories that I know are kind of, like, contrary to, like, Christian thinking just to see what kind of stuff I'm going to get fed, you know, because we're getting fed something from somebody, from some algorithm to get money, right? I don't know. I don't know how it works. But there is this ever-increasing distrust, misunderstanding, and um, hostility towards the things of Christ. And I think if you walk in this world and try to represent Christ, you might feel like Jesus here, where, where at some time in a conversation, you're going to feel hemmed in and surrounded, and you're going to be hit with this question that's, that's like, just give me a yes or no question to answer to this question, like, right? And you kind, of are, you kind of realize, like, this question isn't like an honest question, like trying to seek about, like, but it's more just, it, are we going to confirm people's biases or not? You know, what Jesus does here is he doesn't just confirm their presuppositions and their biases, and, but what he does is he points them at the, the totality of his life and his work. And I think as Christians, like, we, sh we should have the wisdom not to take the bait all the time. Because usually the issue isn't about some fine point theological question that, that uh, they need a yes or no answer to. Oftentimes that's simply, like, for those that are outside the church, that's simply something like, you mean to tell me that people that don't believe in Jesus go to hell? Right? Just give me a yes or no. Or do you mean to tell me that, and I'm, and I'm not saying like we need to back off teaching about judgment, don't think I'm going like weird on you. But what I am saying is that maybe we need to focus on the things that are more important. Like think about all the things that Jesus has promised. He's the, he's, he's the one that gives life. He's the one that gives, that, that gives satisfaction. He's the one that fulfills our hopes. And what Jesus does is he reframes their question and talks about what matters instead of just confirming their biases. Do you guys understand what I'm talking about? I think Colossians, Paul talks to the Colossian church about this in Colossians chapter 4. He says this, he says, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. He's talking about those outside the faith, outside the church. 
making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Hear what Paul's saying? Like, first of all, our speech should always be what? Gracious, right? It's always be gracious. It should take into account like this person's unique situation. It should, it should be seasoned in a way that's like, like tasteful with salt because of the grace that goes into it. It should be pointing people to, to Jesus. And, you know, so hearing that, I think Tim Keller was such a perfect example of this. Like it's a loss to the church that he recently passed away where he could get hit with a question and and kind of know what the question behind the question was and just really speak to the heart of the issue for people and point them to like the completely sufficient work of Jesus all the time. I think we need to pray for that same wisdom. We should be praying that we can do this, that we can respond in grace towards the, the outsiders, that we, can, that we can focus them on the things that really matter and, and undermine that mistrust, misunderstanding, and distortion as we point people to the to the sufficient, like, satisfying work of Jesus Christ. You know, if, you, if, you're, if that raises a bunch of questions, like, this morning in your mind, like, feel free to come talk to me. I'd love to talk more about that and give you some, like, more concrete examples that I don't have time for now. But I just think in this, in this world, like, we, we, need, we need that wisdom from the Lord, and we should be praying to that end and being thoughtful and understanding our neighbors so that we can speak into those, into those things. Jesus goes on, and then he says something really, really surprising here in verses 26 and 27. Look what he says in verse 26. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. What he's saying is like, I've explained this to you again and again and again, and I've given miracle after miracle after miracle, and you just don't believe because, now listen to the cause and effect, you are not my sheep. We like to read that in our minds. You are not my sheep because you don't believe. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus reverses the cause and effect. He says, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. Like their failure to believe didn't have anything to do with Jesus' inability as a communicator. It had something to do with like their nature and their heart that was like inclined against the Lord. In fact, this goes back to what Jake talked about last week when he talked about the sheepfold. And he says that what would happen in like villages where they would have like a, a group of shepherds with all of their sheep would all put their sheep in the same pen. You guys remember this from last week for those of you who were here? And then when like the shepherd would come up, Jake, can you do your shepherd call again from last? <laughs> yeah, there it is. I listened online and I was like, wow, okay, that's how I sound when I go off on my random things. Like, <laughs> at least my collar is straight. So. <laughs> but there's all these sheep in this pen. The shepherd comes up and does the Jake call. And this is, this is what it says back in John chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Uh, verses, where is it? Verse 3. To him, the doorkeeper was, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So if this were a big sheepfold, some of you, like, would, if, if you were sheep, would belong to me as the shepherd, I would go, yeah, like Jake, and you would all, like, know my voice, you would know me, and so you would respond to me and follow me, and I would lead you out of the sheepfold, and all the other sheep would be there. 
That's what Jesus is talking about here when he says, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. And then he goes on, my sheep hear my voice. Verse 27, and I know them and they follow me. In fact, Jesus said it up above that he knows them all by name. This is a deeply mysterious thing that, that uh, as we look at like God's mind from all eternity, but what Jesus is saying is here is that there are people that belong to the Lord. In fact, in verse 29, we're told that the Father has given these sheep to the Son. And that when, when the, the call of Jesus comes to those people, they hear the shepherd's voice. They know the shepherd. In fact, more importantly than them knowing the shepherd, it says that the shepherd knows them. And he calls each of them by name. And they follow him. Being a sheep precedes belief. In fact, it leads to that response of faith that we all experience. And some of you are probably sitting out there thinking like, man, this sounds like he's talking about predestination. <laughs> yep, yep, I am. <laughs> but what Jesus, and, and, and I don't want to minimize the questions because like, this raises like tons of questions in our minds and a lot of you guys are just wrestling through it at different places in your kind of understanding of how God works from eternity past to like accomplish his purposes. But this isn't the first time Jesus talked about this. In John chapter 6, Jesus says this. He says, all that the Father gives me, using that same language from verse 29, will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. But Jesus said the same thing there. Everybody that the Father gives to the Son will come to the Son. And everybody that comes to the Son, that the Son will do what? Will raise him up on the last day. You know, and again, I know this is going to raise a bunch of questions. We talk about this in our new members class. I'm, we'll be talking about it, you know, as we get into the theological sections of our training that we're going to be rolling out, I mean, this year. But what Jesus does here is he doesn't focus on all those questions. He doesn't focus on everything that, like, all the what-ifs. He doesn't focus on, like, what it means about what happened in the past. But what he focuses is about is the sheep's future. Look what he says. Verse 28, I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of, my, of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. What Jesus is saying is like, if you belong to the shepherd, if you are a child of God this morning, your salvation is secured, not because of your faithfulness to him, but because of his power and his strength and his faithfulness to you, that you are held in his grasp. He is greater than all and no one can snatch you out of his hand. No one. He is greater than all. In fact, Ephesians 1, Paul talks about this kind of in more theological terms in Ephesians 1, and he begins, he begins his letter by praising God. And look what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
He's like, he's praising God for all of these blessings he received. And then he says this, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Think about that for a second. Before time began, before the cosmos came into existence. Here in John 10, it says that he knows that he calls them all by name. Like God had you specifically in mind to become one of his children before he even created the world. And then it goes on and says that you should be holy and blameless before him. When is that? How many of you guys are holy and blameless before God? I'm not raising my hand because I am. Hands in my pocket. What's that? In Christ we are, but ultimately that's going to be realized when? When we stand before him face to face, when all of time and creation is summed up in Christ. What, what, what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying, what the scriptures tell us over and over again is that God had you specifically in mind so that from before salvation, before the world began until after it's summed up in Christ, like he has you firmly in his grasp. So if you're a Christian here and you still found yourself on that like treadmill of, of uh, man, I just got to like do this, 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 or else God's going to be mad at me and I, I've got to like earn it off and then before I can come back to him and Like, just stop. He chose you before the foundation of the world, knowing every single thing about you. Knowing your sin, knowing your weaknesses, knowing your, like, rebellious heart, knowing, like, all the things that you love other than him. And he brought you to the shepherd. And one day he's going to, and you're found holy and blameless in him. And one day you will be found holy and blameless before him. So you can just take the sigh of relief. No one is going to snatch you out of the Father's hand. No one's going to snatch you out of the Son's hand because the Son and the Father are one. They are one essence. They are like perfectly like in, in, in sync about your salvation. Like God has accomplished and will accomplish his work for you in Jesus Christ, no matter what. So you don't need to always, like, Paul talks about it in Romans 8, and I just, like, I go back to this a lot in Romans 8. He says, for, the, for we, have been, we have not been given a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. Think about that. Oh, a slave who responds to his master is always trying to, like, work to impress his master, and he's always afraid of being punished if he doesn't, Right? Paul says, that's not the spirit we've been given. Paul says, we've been given the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, which means you've been brought into the family of God. You've been, in, you've been like, made like, legally part of his like, family. And then he says, and we can cry out then, not like a slave who's fearful of punishment, but as a son who cries out, Daddy, Father. And he'll always be there to, to help. Like this doctrine of, of like predestination is so much richer than just a theological debate. 
You know, I would encourage you, if you're, if you're struggling with it theologically, like, press into that. Don't just be like, oh, well, that's just hard to understand, so I'm going to give up. Like, God doesn't put it in the Bible just so that we just give up on it. Press into it, because I think what you're going to find is that God's commitment to you, his grace to you, his, like, love upon you is so much deeper and richer and fuller and secure than you ever imagined. Press into it. Don't just back away. And, and, and I get the journey. Like, I, it was a multi-year journey for me. I remember, like, talking to a guy in Bible college. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say this in church, but I will anyway. Um, <laughs> then you won't remember Jake's things. Um, you know, like, in response to verses like this, I was debating a guy on my floor, which, like, Bible college debates on the floor, like, dorm floor are never profitable. And, uh, and he's telling me that God's got me secure in his hand. And I'm like, I can go to hell if I want to. And he's like, no, you can't. And then, right? Is that okay to say? And then I remember meditating on Psalm 139. And in Psalm 139, it says, And in your book, they are all written for me, the days that were ordained for me, even before there was one of them. And like the Spirit of God just was like, oh, like God is like plan for me is so much bigger than I realized. And his thoughts towards me are so much deeper than I realized. So I'd encourage you just to like to press in and wrestle with it because it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to know that the shepherd knows you. He calls you by name. He has a grasp on you and no one will snatch you out of his hand. You know, Brian, why don't you come up and I don't really have time to finish my second point this morning, but that's okay. But I do want to like just make one comment about what happens. Look what he said. Look what Jesus says down in verse um, verse 37 and 38. Jesus is, in verse 31, this is amazing. The Jews therefore took up stones to stone him. So he's cornered in the temple. Everybody's got these big old rocks and now they're going to like stone him to death. And Jesus is like, wait, wait, I've got a theological question for you. And he throws out this theological thing that we don't have time for this morning. You can read about it. And then in verse 37, he says this. He says, if I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. In the midst of this hostile crowd who literally has stones in their hands to stone Jesus to death, what does Jesus do? He invites their belief. He's like, if, if you're not going to believe what I say, at least just believe what I do. Look at the totality of who I am and what I've been doing and believe. And if you're out here and you've been struggling with like, trying to figure out who Jesus is, like, listen, like, look at the totality of Jesus' life and his work. And I'm going to extend the same invitation to you that Jesus extended. Believe. And what we see down in verse 41 says, and many came to him and were saying, while John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. The testimony of John the Baptist, even though he had been, he hadn't been killed already, like caused many people to believe in Jesus. And 
John the Baptist said tons of things about Jesus. He said that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one that will free you from captivity. He's the one that will take away your sin. He's the one that will set you free. He spoke about, in John chapter 1, he says that he's the Son of God and he's the one that gives the Holy Spirit. He's the one that will transform your life and make you new. John the Baptist also said that, that he's the one that loves his people like a bridegroom loves his bride. He's the one that deserves all of our worship, that he is above all. He's the one that speaks the word of God. And then John the Baptist said this, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. Like believe in Jesus because it's, then you'll be secure and you'll experience life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's what John the Baptist said about Jesus. Believe and live. Believe and live. So, Brian, why don't you close us, and then I'll close us in prayer.